of it. There is going to be nothing in your life that you will not be able to overcome by the power of the Holy Ghost and the Word of God. God always causes us to triumph. And quite often we think of that in terms of things on the outside. But what about things on the inside? What about things within our character? What about fears, anxieties? What about history? What about woundedness? What about things within the depths of our soul where it looks as if, how can I ever change? You know, we have a saying that you can't change anybody. No, you can't change anybody. And we can't change ourselves. But the word of God is alive and powerful. And it can penetrate to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And there is nothing in your life that, is the, that, is, that has any defense for the word of God. If the word of God can have free course in your life. The scripture says the word of the Lord, how the word of the Lord can convert your soul. Now that is not only in your thinking, but that's also in your attitudes. That is also in your memory and in those areas that the devil want to keep you bound. But I declare unto you today that as you get a hold of the truth of the word of God, and especially the word of the cross, the word of the sacrifice, that which Jesus has done so that everything could be reconciled to how it would have been if sin had never taken place. What would you be like if sin and what came because of Adam's fall had no impact on your life? How free, how liberating would it be? What would it be if Jesus himself was able to live his life for you and live his life through you? What limitations would there be? You would come into a place of the liberty of the sons of God. For surely the word of the Lord declares that he has called us to liberty. But what does that liberty look like? Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But how can we get there in reality? How can that become experiential? I believe the word that you're going to receive today that will finish off next week will bring you into that liberty as you get a hold of it and as you run with it, which you will in Jesus' name. Amen? Praise the Lord. Glory to God. So, Father, that is a declaration. That is a decree. That is a prophetic word. And that is also our prayer. So we thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and grace today so that that which you desire shall be fulfilled in Jesus' name. And everyone said, praise the Lord. Let's have a seat. Well, glory to God. I'm telling you, I could go home with that alone. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All right. Now, this is part two of what we began a few weeks back. The secret of abiding in Christ. This is part two. The secret of abiding in Christ. I'm going to begin by giving by... Let, let, let's put it this way. I'm going to begin in the end. How is that possible? <laughs> right? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the summary of the message up front. And then we're going to come back and break it down. Is that okay? All right. Now, the, 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 if you were to take a verse of scripture that embodies the message, it would be John chapter 15 and verse 5, where Jesus said, and I don't want you to be hindered by what you have believed about this verse. Many times we can read the word of God and we, re and we, and we read what we believe as opposed to believing what we read. Are you with me? Many times we can read the word of God and we can read what we believe. We will read what we believe is in that verse. We will read and we will hear only what we heard before. 
But I challenge you today to not just hear what you have heard before, not just read what you believe, but believe what you read. Does that make sense? All right, praise the Lord. So this is the verse of scripture that embodies what I believe the Lord would have had for you today. And it's John 15 verse 5 where it says, where Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And he who abides in me, say abide. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If you abide, if you live in oneness, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, if you live in oneness with me, you will bring forth what? Much fruit. Now what is the secret to this abiding? This abiding, when you dissect it and you look at it and you, you capture the image of it, the vine and the branch, the branch and the vine, this abiding is a surrender. It's a total surrender. So we can say the secret to this abiding in Christ, this branch abiding in the vine, is surrender. So surrender is the secret to this abiding. And it is the abiding. Total surrender. Question now is, what is the secret? To total surrender. Is it just a matter of willpower? (laughs) And how can you and I totally surrender. Irregardless of the the issues that we may have with with our personalities. So to speak. How can you and I come to that place of total surrender? Irregardless of what the obstacles or the hindrances are, whether it be in your personality, whether it be voices from the past, whether it be things that can clog you up like unforgiveness or resentment or bitterness or the traditions of men, what will it take for you to totally surrender? How can this be done? And to be able to do so continually. Well, the answer to that is going to be and is the application of the sacrifice of Christ. And by the sacrifice of Christ, I am talking about two elements. I'm talking about what Jesus did for you when he died on the cross. But I'm also talking about what God did for you in Christ when he sent him to the cross. In other words then, it is what God did for you through the sacrifice of Christ. But it is also what God did with you in the sacrifice of Christ. And the application of that sacrifice will cause you to overcome anything that would hinder you from coming into full surrender. The application of that sacrifice, both sides of that sacrifice, will bring you into a place of total surrender, no matter what hindrances you might be facing today. Now that's a, that's a, I mean, that's a tremendous statement to make. Amen? But I know the word of God says... That when you are, if you can continue and you can be that disciple indeed, you will know the truth. And if you can get a hold of that truth and the truth of the sacrifice, it will make you free. It will produce the freedom. Now these things, as I said, we must not just believe. We must not just read what we believe. But we must believe what we read. The truth, if you know it, the truth of the sacrifice, the truth of the word of the cross, the truth of what God did for you in Christ and what God did with you in the sacrifice of Christ when applied will guaranteed to produce freedom and liberty. Glory to God. All right. Now, the application of the sacrifice of Christ continually 
is to produce Galatians 2.20 as your experience. Galatians 2.20 says that you were crucified with Christ, nevertheless you live. But yet it is not you that live, but it is Christ that liveth in you. And this life that you now live in this flesh, you live by the faith of the Son of God. This great treasure that now exists in you, you have this treasure in earthen vessels. This life that you now live, it is the life of Christ. The life that you live in this flesh is the life of Christ and you live it by the faith of the Son of God. Now that is the reality on one end for every believer. The Christian that has just got born again, he's been crucified with Christ. It's no longer him that lives, but it's Christ that liveth in him. The Christian that is have one foot in the world and one foot in God and they're struggling, the truth in his born again spirit, that is that it's no longer him, but it's Christ that liveth in him. That is the truth concerning him. But, and it is the truth for the one that is more mature, and no longer you, but Christ that liveth in you. However, we want it to move from the place of how it is in our spirit to become experiential in our lives. And for it to become experiential in our lives, what is, what is it saying? It means then that you and I must come to the place where the reality of our day-to-day experience in any situation or circumstance is that it is no longer you that live, but it is Christ himself living in you and living through you in this mortal, physical, earthen vessel. Are you with me? Glory to God. So that... As Jesus is, so are we in this world. So that as Jesus is, so shall we also be in this world. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. However, it is the application of the truth that will cause you to experience that freedom. Are you with me? All right. Now, obviously, there are degrees in this abiding and in this surrender. There are degrees in this Christ because this is what we're really talking about. We are talking about coming to the place where we know Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Amen? Is that the case for every believer? Absolutely. But the thing is we want to come to the place where Christ is living through you. And the degree of that, of course, is going to be the degree of maturity. But we want to take that to the ultimate limit. Jesus said in John chapter, it said in Hebrews 10 verse 6, a body you've prepared for me, I have come to do your will. Well, let it be that this is the body that God has prepared for Jesus to live in and through right now in this time. Let it be, according to 1 John, John 4, 9, that herein is the love of God manifested. That he gave his only begotten son. 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God sent his only begotten son. What for? Just to get us our sins forgiven? Just to give us a plane ticket to heaven? No, he gave us his only begotten son just so that we can have eternal life. That is great. He gave his only begotten son and he sent him into this world, sent him to the cross. Why? That we might live through him. 
What do you mean live through him? That we might live the life that comes through him. The life that comes through Jesus is the life of Jesus. It's the life of Christ. So God said he sent Jesus to the cross so that you might live and have Jesus' life as your own and that that life might be lived by you and through you. So what is that all about? It is saying basically that here is the place where we need to come to. We need to come to the place where, where we are so surrendered, so yielded, so abandoned to him, so abandoned in him that he takes us over so that Christ himself is living through you now to various degrees depending on maturity but can I put it another way think about this for a moment what if what if Jesus could live your life for you through you can you imagine what would it be like or what would it look like what would it be like if Jesus says, okay, get out of the way. And you said, all right. And he says, I'll take over. Take over. And he says, I'll take over. And now I'm going to live your life for you, through you, in every situation. Would that be triumph and victory? Wouldn't that be deliverance? Wouldn't that be freedom? Wouldn't that be, I mean, like, what would be impossible? Well, can you, here is the truth of the gospel. God has called you from your mother's womb and he had ordained and planned and purposed to reveal his son in you and that Christ might live in you and through you. It is not just about being born again. Being born again only brings you into the door. Jesus says, I am the door. It only brings you into the kingdom. But oh, let's look on the inside. What's in here? What's inside this kingdom? There is righteousness. There is peace. There is wholeness. There is joy in the Holy Ghost. There is unmeasurable, immeasurable riches of Christ. There is. It's all here. But we're talking about Christ himself living in you and through you. That's what we're talking about. And so then, if you abide in me, if you surrender Totally. What would happen? He says, I'm going to live my life through you. And so this is the objective. This is what it's all about. So there is a whole message in summary. If you abide in him, you're going to be bringing much fruit. But what is the secret to abiding? It's really talking total surrender. What's going to be the secret of total surrender? It's going to be the application of the sacrifice of Christ. All right? All right. So let's break this down now. All right, so if for any reason you turn me off right now, at least you got a summary. Amen, but I don't know, but you had to stick around. <laughs> All right, John chapter 15, reading from verse 4 to verse 8. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides and is surrendered to the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me and you are surrendered to me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides and surrenders to me, and I in him, will bear much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide and surrender and is yielded to me, he's cast forth, cast forth as a branch, and he withers away. Because he's cut off from the light source and the sap. And they will gather them and they will throw them into the fire, and they are burned. But if you would abide in me, 
If you would abide in me, if you would surrender in me, and if uh, and I am so, and I'm abandoned and I am yielded to you, if you would abide in me, if this would really happen, and say and say and and my words abide in you. In other words, there's going to be something about His word that is going to cause this abiding. He adds something here. Before he said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him will bring forth much fruit. But now he adds, if you do that and you abide in me and say, and my word abide in you, you are guaranteed full manifestation. Well, he didn't put it that way. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire. And it shall be done for you. There is no greater word than shall. It shall be done for you. In other words, then he says, if you abide in me, I'm the man, you're the branches. If you abide in me, my word, and, and my word abide in you, you've got guaranteed manifestation and fruit. Whatever you ask in my name, whatever you ask, whatever you desire, it shall be done. Whether you ask it in prayer or whether you ask or whether you're declaring and decreeing it, it shall be done. Say abide. Say surrender. All right. Now we do have to come back and find out what is this word that needs to abide in you. In fact, I'm going to jump, go ahead and say the word that need, that needs to abide in you is the word of the cross. It is the truth of the sacrifice. It is the word, it's the gospel, which is the power of God to salvation, wholeness, deliverance, preservation, fulfillment of all the promises of God. The gospel, the sacrifice, the good news of the sacrifice, that produces all, that releases all kinds of power to produce salvation. The blessings of the Lord. It's going to be the word of the cross. It's going to be the word of the sacrifice. Nothing against Genesis, nothing against Numbers, nothing against Leviticus, nothing against Solomon, nothing against Proverbs. All of those things, thank God. But we are going to be talking about the word of the cross that is the power of God to produce all these things. And if that word, if you get a hold of that word, which is the truth, and you apply it, it will make you free. It will bring you into liberty and it's going to bring you into the place of total surrender even if it has to go against your personality and your natural inclinations. It will bring you into the place so that the things that held you bound, the things that would have hindered the freedom and the liberty and, 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 and that surrenderedness, so to speak, will be removed, the word of the cross. Wherein you've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer you that live. The word of the cross, wherein you and the old man has died and has passed away and was buried with Christ. The word of the cross, wherein you've been resurrected with him, and you now have that resurrection power living on the inside of you. That word of the cross, wherein you've ascended together with him. And you've been made to sit together and function from the position of ascension, which is far above principalities, powers, might, dominion, devil, demons, or any situation. That word of the cross can bring that freedom. That word of the cross that says, now I've given unto you my name. And in my name, you have the my life. In my name, you shall tread upon serpents and scorpions. In my name, whatsoever you do in my name, you will prosper. 
the name of Jesus that belongs to us. Whatever you do, do everything in the name of Jesus. That's part of the word of the cross. The word of the cross. The life of Christ that is now in you. The hope of glory. The word of the cross. All the promises of God in Christ. They are yes and amen. Why? Because you are an heir of God. A joint heir with Christ. And you are a son of God. You are a citizen of heaven. And the constitution of heaven is what governs your life. So if it is done in heaven, whatever the word and the will of God is done and settled in heaven, so it is for you on earth as it is in heaven. The word of the cross. What is this word that Jesus says need to abide in you? Once you are abiding in me, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And then you go further and you get a hold of this word of the cross. And you let that word abide in you. It will bring you to the place of full manifestation. And whatever you desire, whatever you ask, whatever you declare, whatever you decree, it shall be done for them. Because after all, it will no longer be you, but it will be Christ living through you. Amen? And in him, all the promises are yes and amen. Remember, what are we talking about? We are talking about Jesus living his life in you and through you. We're talking about Jesus, just for the sake of our imagination, living your life for you. What would happen? You shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. In other words, there's going to be a fruit and the very fruit of your life will be the fruit that Jesus himself would have. Amen? If he had that freedom. Glory to God. And then it goes on to say, Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified. This is what glorifies the Father. That you might bear what? Much fruit. And so will you be my disciples. Remember that word. I'm hanging it up over here. Say disciples. Disciples. So shall you be my disciples. All right. So, what does this much fruit look like? This much fruit. What does this much fruit look like? Well, it's exactly what the type of vine produces. You have a vine. If you have a grapevine, what should come out of it? What, should be, what kind of fruit will bear in the branches? Grapes. Amen? If you have a mango tree, what kind of fruit should you have? Mangoes. Well, if the vine is Christ, Jesus says, I'm the vine, and you are the branches, what kind of fruit should come out of it? Fruit that look like Jesus. Is that right? The fruit will be a distinct identification of what the vine is. Christ himself. It would be what Christ, and we're talking much fruit too. It is exactly what Christ himself would produce if he had the liberty to do so. What would come out of your life if Christ is living in you and Christ is living through you? Christ in you, the hope of glory. What would be the fruits? What would it look like? Well, 1 John 3, 8 says, For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. That he would what? Destroy the works of the devil. So if Christ is living in you, your life will be a perpetual, um, what should I say? Which will be a perpetual display or not reenactment. Your life will continually 
Be such that Christ that is in you, that came to destroy the works of the devil, that did destroy the works of the devil, but yet the devil keeps still fighting and fighting and fighting, but he's been defeated. But Christ within you, that destroyed the works of the devil, living in you and through you, what's going to happen? The works of the devil will be destroyed. Amen? The sin will be destroyed. Sickness and disease will be destroyed. Remember, he's having his own way. If his life is flowing through you, the sap that is in the vine is flowing through you as a branch. That life of Christ, with all of its divine healing power, is able to flow through you. What sickness can stand in the presence of his glory? What sickness? Christ in you the hope of glory. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 10, He has brought life and immortality to light, to the surface. So what happened? He would be in you. He'll be destroying sickness. He will destroy sin. He will destroy even that rebellion that we tend to have at times. That comes out of our humanity. My way. I did it my way. Rebellion. That rebellion will be destroyed. Those things within your personality will be destroyed. Those things that the poverty, the lack Curses will be destroyed. The fruit of it, the works of the devil will be destroyed. Not only that, but the promises of God will be fulfilled. For in him all the promises are yes and amen. God has given us great and precious promises that by these you might partake of the divine nature. What would happen if Christ is in you? Having that liberty to flow through you, to dominate your life, your yield, your surrender to him, so that he is able to take over. You will be conformed to the image of Christ. Isn't that what the word of God say? Amen. You don't want to stay conformed to your own image. Amen. (laughs) And there will be perpetual victory. Will you have challenges? Of course. But you can be of good share. He that is living in you and through you have overcome the world. So here you are, you'll be more than a conqueror. He will always be causing you to triumph. They that died with him will also reign with him. And here you are living in this oneness, this godliness, this righteousness. What will, ah, you're going to be so blessed. Victory, victory, victory. The scripture says with persecution. They that live godly in Christ will also suffer persecution. But that's okay. He's always causing you to triumph. All the persecution does is just give you some more exercise equipment. Amen? So you could build some more God muscles. Hallelujah. But what would it look like? The scripture says that you would be the fragrance of him in every place. You're going to smell like Jesus. You're going to be the epistle of Christ. You're going to be the reflection of Christ. Hallelujah. Philippians chapter 1 verse 9 through 11 says... That the love of God may abound more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. That you will choose the things that are excellent. That you would be without offense. Why? Because of this love abounding. And then what will happen? That you will increase in the fruits of righteousness. Well, if the love of God abounding, he is love, is he not? So more and more of him flowing through will cause what? Fruits of righteousness. Fruits of that oneness. You see, you abiding in him and him abiding in you, the vine abiding in the branch, and the branch, that's oneness. And oneness is what righteousness is all about. Jesus is the head, we are the body, oneness. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit, righteousness, oneness. 
So there will be an increase of the fruits of righteousness. There will be the increase of the fruit that comes out of that oneness. Hallelujah. And so it says in Philippians 1 verse 11, that you will be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and the praise of God. Amen. Let me ask you something. Do you want much fruit? You like what much fruit looks like? Hallelujah, storms, whatever, for fiction, whatever test, whatever is happening in the world makes no difference what's happening around about you. You can be of good cheer. He has overcome the world. And you can have peace. You can have joy. You can have confidence. You can have hope. You can, and you can be above only never beneath. That's all fruits. Fruits of what? His life taking over. But that can't happen without surrender. What is the secret to abiding? What is the secret to surrender? We're getting there. It's going to be. The secret to abiding is surrender, but the secret to sur- that surrender. The cross can take you there. The word of the cross. If that word abides in you, all right? So what does this surrender look like? It's abiding. It's, it's the abiding. It's that surrender that produces fruit. And like I said before, imagine Christ that is in you having freedom to live his life in you and through you. But what, was, what, what does that require? Surrender. Yielding to him. Surrender. You know, just to see this one and surrender. And I, 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 I almost thought about demonstrating this, but then I think not. It's like a dance. It's like a waltz. And you're just two people and you're dancing together, but man, but you're so connected. Left, right, spin around, but you're just so connected. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought, oh, I can ask Pastor that and let's demonstrate it. But that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> I don't know how the choreography is going to go. <laughs> but this abiding, this surrender, this yielding to him, letting him lead, letting him take over. Jesus demonstrated what this surrender looked like. He says, Father, a body you've prepared for me, I've come to do thy will. Here, have your own way. Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are not mine. They are the words of the Father. So this surrender is going to have to do with your mouth. It's going to have to do with your words. It says in John 3 verse 34 that Jesus, the the Father released and gave him the Holy Ghost without measure, without limitation. Why? Because he only spoke what the Father said. Can you imagine that? You see, the power of God and the power of the Holy Ghost is for performance. It's to get things done. It is to bring fulfillment to the word that is spoken. Can you imagine if God releases the power of the Holy Ghost in your life in a way that is unlimited, but then you still walk around saying that this bugs me. Or you still walk around, somebody get you um, upset in traffic and you want to give them the finger. You want to tell them go break a leg and the power of God is there to back you up. Are you with me? So there is a, you know, there's a scripture that says that when you separate the precious from the vile, which means when you learn to talk right, then you can be God's mouthpiece. Jesus was God's mouthpiece, backed up by the power of the Holy Ghost without limitation because he only spoke what the Father said. In other words, only the word that agreed with him. What does surrender look like? Your mouth? 
right? Your will. Jesus said in John chapter 5 and verse 30, let me just give you a few scriptures here. John chapter 5 and verse 30, Jesus said, I, I can of myself do nothing. Oh, look at that. This is Jesus. Jesus says that he cannot, not as he would not, he says, I cannot do anything of myself. I'm just here. This is just the body. But it is the Father within me that do the works. Well, we've got to come to that place of humility and surrender. I can of myself do nothing except he build a house. I can of myself do nothing. He's got to do it. But then you see the surrendering causes him to do it. He says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is right because I do not seek my own will. But the will of the Father who had sent me. So it means there's a surrendering of one's will. The scripture says, Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 34. He says, my meat is to do the will of the Father. That my very existence, my strength, my nourishment, all of it comes from doing the Father's will, not my own will. And then Jesus came to the ultimate test of that will in the Garden of Gethsemane. When in the Garden of Gethsemane and there was that cup, should he take this cup? This cup is going to mean separation from God the Father. It's going to mean separation from the Holy Ghost. It's going to mean taking on sin. It's going to mean the sickness, the disease, the curse, and all of that. But even beyond that, it was this separation from God the Father. So that the Holy Spirit and, and, and the Father is going to say, I mean on the cross, Jesus is going to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the, 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 the thought of that, was so excruciatingly perilous, difficult, agonizing, oppressive, that, that, that it was like, I mean, like to go to that extent of submitting his will. So in Luke chapter 22, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, reading from verse 42, he says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And, and then an angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him. And being in much agony, agony of mind, agony of soul, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became as great drops of blood. Talk about stress. His sweat became as great drops of blood falling to the ground. And then of course he said, Father, your will. Surrendering of that will. We're talking about what does this surrender look like? Peter. Peter was a guy, what is the word? Impetuous. I mean, he was he was very impulsive. Huh? Was it? Impetuous? Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> I mean, he would just, you know, it come to his mind, he would say it, he wouldn't come the cost or everything else. Jesus, I'm going to die for you. Da, 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 da. And then when you're under pressure, you end up denying him. Peter had this self-will dominating him. But after Jesus was resurrected and Jesus, and they saw Jesus fishing or they, uh, um, and they were in the boat and uh, after they had gone back fishing, here was Jesus on the seashore. And then they came out of the boat and Jesus had this conversation with Peter. And it says in John chapter 21 and verse 18, and I want you to see something. Peter was a self-willed, self-ruled person. 
He was, a, he was part of Jesus' disciple team, but he was so self-ruled. But listen to, what you, listen to this conversation. In John chapter 21, verse 18, what does surrender look like? Jesus said to him, most surely I say to you, when you were younger, Peter, you girt up yourself and you walk wherever you would. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. In other words, Peter, you always did your own will. But you're going to come to such a place of maturity, it's not going to be about you will and your will anymore. You're just going to go wherever the Holy Ghost go. It's going to be the will of God that will dominate you. Amen? And Peter grasped it. Right? Later on, Peter's going to write in 1 first, in first Peter chapter 4. And verse 1 to 3, Peter says, Since Christ has suffered for us, for me, <laughs> arm yourself with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He that says no to self has ceased from sin. How can you fall into sin and the devil get you to do his will if he has no access to self? Are you with me? Peter came to that place. He says, he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in this flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. What does surrender look like? It's no longer you that live, but it's Christ that liveth in you. And the life you now live in the flesh, you live by the faith of the Son of God. So, this is just a snapshot of this surrender because you see, this is what is necessary in order to have this much fruit. Amen? It's becoming so surrendered, so yielded to Christ that is in you that you literally become an extension of him in the earth in any environment. You become the fragrance of him, the epistle of him. You become his voice. You become his oracle. You become his arms. You become the extension of him. You know, like Jesus says, Father, Jesus said to Thomas, you see me, you see the Father. So that we come to that place where you see me, you see Jesus. Are you with me? So the question still remains. How can you get to this place of surrender? This place of abiding? In spite of the personal issues that you have to deal with. In spite of the environment and the challenges. Well, I'll tell you one thing. You, on, you uh, in and of yourself cannot do it. That's why, I mean, the commandment was to point out that you can't do it. But now we have grace. But Jesus himself, he is grace. Amen? So let's look at that. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Surrender. Say surrender. Say abiding in the name of Jesus. All right? The scripture says many are called. Many are called. Many are called. Many are born again. Filled with the Holy Ghost. Speaking in other tongues. And everything else. But few are chosen. Few will actually come to that place. Whew. Come to that place of yieldedness and abandonment. Mm. I didn't know this was going to come up. But I guess it is. Praise you Jesus. This scripture just comes to my mind. 
and I know the Lord is not bringing it to my mind just for the sake of it. And um, where it says, Pastor Dad, if you could pull it out somewhere, where the Christians were, where they were first called Christians in Antioch. Where they were first called Christians in Antioch. I didn't write it down and I don't have it in my memory bank. But while you're searching for that for me, the, they were first called the disciples. Actually, I have the code though. I don't remember the address. But the scripture says, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. You get it? All right. All right. Who was called Christians? The disciples. Now, when we've come to find out what a disciple is, a disciplined one, one that is like the master. Jesus said, don't call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say. We, we, we read in John when it says that, when, what is it? Acts 11, 26. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a, that for a whole year, they assembled with the church and he taught a great many people and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. In other words, then if we were to be technical and be technically correct, being born again does not make you a Christian. Being born again, according to that scripture, may make you a convert. And yes, you have a plane ticket to heaven. Got it. But to be a disciple, it's a different thing. And when you become, so the disciples were called Christians. Are you with me? We're going to come back to that, but let me hang that out here for a little bit. In fact, I left that up there earlier. Remember disciple? Remember we said that? Disciple, it's still here. We're going to come back to it. Say disciple. All right. <laughs> All right. Anyway, how can you get to this place of total surrender? How can you get to this place? If you abide in me, my word abide in you. You shall ask what you will. I'm the vine, ye are the branches. He that abided in me. He that abided in me, he that abided in me shall bring forth much fruit. Hallelujah. Say disciples again. This abiding, this surrender. Now it is not easy. Let me not try to make it say, oh, this is just easy. You need help. It's going to take the power of the Holy Ghost. But it's available. And it's going to take the power of the Holy Ghost. And most of all, and this is where we're heading to now. It's going to take the application of the very sacrifice of Christ. What God did with, for you in Christ and in his sacrifice and what he did with you. It's going to take the application of that. And especially what he did with you in Christ for you to be able to get overcome the things that hinder you from totally surrendering. Amen? Now, let me show you this from a different perspective. You know, like I said, let me back up to what I was saying. I went off track, but let me get back on track. Many are called, but what? Few are chosen. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. What life? The life of Christ dominating you. Narrow is the way that leads to that place where the life of Christ can be living in you, but through you and dominating you. Narrow is that way, and few there be that find it. That narrow way, and that way is going to be the application of the cross that is going to get you there. All right, let's see it. Okay, now, consider, 
Consider this here very quickly. Consider Jesus. Remember when he had communion with them? Now in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they discussed the communion in the Gospels, they talked about it from a, from a standpoint of this is what happened. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that was broken for you. And he took the, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of his blood shed for you and so on and so forth. All right? But then John came along. And John talked and said some more things. On that night when he was betrayed. And actually, John chapter 13 to John chapter 16... John focused on a number of uncertain teachings that Jesus shared with them on that occasion or, um, when he washed their feet and when they had communion and when he said that Judas was going to betray him. John shared a number of teachings on that specific occasion that is captured in John chapter 13 to John chapter 16. Amen? Students, go read it. Go study it out. We can't get to it right now. Man, that was a long night. Man, Jesus did some preaching that night. Amen? But all right. But then remember when in John 16, this, don't forget, this is stuff that came out of that communion table. John said this in John 16 verse 12. He said that Jesus said to them at that time that there are many things that I have to say to you, but you cannot receive them out now. You are not able to grasp and to understand them right now. But afterwards... You're going to find out what it means later when the Holy Ghost has come. Well, thank God for Paul. Paul, when God called him, Paul, God gave Paul revelation and understanding about those very same things that Jesus could not discuss with them that John referred to because they were not in a place to comprehend it, which is because they were not born again. All right. What did Paul say? And I'm going to give this to you in a nutshell. Paul concerning that communion. In other words, they were having communion and they didn't understand anything more than what Jesus said. This is the body broken for you. This is the cup of my blood in the new covenant. And that's as far as they got and they didn't have much understanding about it. But then Paul came and Paul, Paul gives us some insight. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, reading from verse 13, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord... Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this and have it continually in the forefront of your thinking. And don't you ever forget it. And in the same manner, he also took the cup. After supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And don't you ever forget what this cup in my blood represents. And this body, let the truth of it permeate your thinking. And let it be ever in the forefront of your thinking. Whatever you do. All right. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, Paul says concerning that, he says, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? This bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Now here is where I'm heading. 
I'm heading to this point that is going to be the application of the sacrifice of Christ and especially what God did with you in the sacrifice that is going to enable you with whatever is necessary so that you can totally surrender, abide, and have the much fruit. That's where I'm heading. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16, this cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion? Which means the common union, the oneness, the sharing, the intimate participation that you have in the blood of Christ. And this bread which we break, is it not the communion, the intimate participation that you have in the body of Christ? All right. Now, and I'm going pretty fast, so you guys, you are locked in. Now, John looked at this. John, remember, John put it this way in John chapter 6, verse 51 to, to 58. John said, I am Jesus Jesus speaking. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. But whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, which is his life. And I will raise him up at the last day because my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh drinks my blood, abides. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me and I in him. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood is totally surrendered to me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. And he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your father ate, the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. What's this all about? All right. So Jesus was declaring in all of this, in John chapter 15, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abided in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And he says, you guys can't understand this right now, but you're going to understand it later. Jesus was declaring a new relationship that they were entering in. A relationship of oneness. A relationship of righteousness. As the, uh, and so, as the, as, as the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the cup, what was he saying? He was inviting them into this oneness. And he was basically saying, if, and what John said, about eating my bread, except you eat this, eat this bread and drink my blood and da 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 da. He wasn't talking, preaching cannibalism. He would say, if you be consumed with me, with Christ, abandoned, surrendered to Christ, that eternal life, his life will become yours and you shall live forever. Communion. So he was inviting them into an intimate, common, union 
oneness, righteousness. And then after he did that, communion, you know what happened? He headed to the cross. He headed to the cross. He went to the cross. In the knowledge of that, he went to the cross. And now I'm going to go to that cross. And I am going to be there. And I'm going to do this and that for you. I'm going to be there in your place. I'm going to take your sickness, take your diseases, take your poverty, take your lack, become a curse, become sin. I'm going to become everything you were that you might become everything that I am. And I'm, there's going to be a total exchange on that cross. And he said, I want you to remember this. Don't you ever forget what I'm, what's going to happen here on that cross. But now you see, and so he said, and I want this to permeate your thinking, your attitudes, your actions. What is going to happen on this cross? I'm going to this cross now to give you that oneness. This relationship that didn't happen before, you're going to have it after I'm done there. But not only am I going to that cross, but I'm going to say this to you right now. Come follow me. Come follow me. Follow me where? To that cross. And unless you follow me to that cross and take up your own cross, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot have my life. You want to have my life? The only way you're going to have my life, you're going to have to be where I am. You're going to have to come to this cross with me. Amen? It's like Jesus said, but we'll talk about it later. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to be, this is not funny. This is serious stuff. <laughs> but really, anyway, I'll continue. So you see now, the application of the sacrifice that is going to bring about this surrender, there are two sides there are two sides to the sacrifice of Christ. Two sides. There is the one side which is what Jesus did for you. What God did for you in the sacrifice of Christ. The great exchange that took place. What did God do for you in Jesus' Now, let me say this quickly. When we talk about the sacrifice of Christ in most church circles, we, we generally might talk about the blood or the cross and, and so on and his death, but we don't put it all together, generally. But on the cross, but the sacrifice of Christ is number one, Jesus died. Number two, he was buried. Number three, he was resurrected. Number four, he ascended. Number five, he shed his blood. What he did for us was done, was captured in those five. All right? And we can break it down, what he, how he took our sickness, become our curse, and all of that. But it's what he did. One side is what he did for us. But then there's a second side, which is what God did with us in the sacrifice. Remember, Jesus says, come follow me. Come up, come up here on this cross with me. What God did with, for us. And with us, not just for us, but with us in the sacrifice of Christ. Let me give this to you very quickly. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. Jesus says, sorry, not Jesus said. Colossians 2 verse 12. Paul, who God gave insight as to what happened, says that we were buried. You were buried with him. Past tense. With Christ in baptism. And you also were raised up with him. How? Through the faith of the working of God. God, by the faith of his own operation, placed every human being in Christ. And you were number one, crucified with him. You died with him. Romans chapter 6, let me flip over there. Romans chapter 6, reading from verse 3 to, to verse 8. You can read the whole chapter. But Romans chapter 6, reading from verse 3. You were placed in Christ. 
Colossians 2.12 says that. Romans 6 breaks it down a little bit more. Listen to what it says. Do you not know this? Don't you know this? That as many of us, I mean each and every one of us, as we were baptized where? Into Christ. Into Christ Jesus. What happened? You were also baptized into his death. This is what happened. On top of that, you were also, therefore, if you were baptized into his death, you were baptized, you were placed in Christ, you were baptized into his death, therefore, you were also buried with him by baptism into death. And just like Christ was raised up from the dead, Ephesians 2 verse 5 and 6 says, you were raised up together with him. And as Jesus ascended to the Father's right hand, you ascended to the Father's right hand and were made to sit there with him. And then it goes on to say, and I can't read it for the sake of time. So here is what happened. There are five elements to what Jesus did for you. Death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and his shed blood. But then there are eight elements, which is the one we need to focus on, of what God did with you in Christ. Number one, you were crucified with him. You died with him. Number two, you were buried with him. Number three, you were ascended with him. Number four, you as Start over. <laughs> Number one, you were... You died with him. Number two, you were buried with him. Number three, you were resurrected with him. Number four, you ascended with him. Number five, you were washed by his blood. And every one of those have, have specific implications. But, and then because you received Jesus, these five come into play. But also, number six, you got the name of Jesus that belongs to you. And then number seven, you also receive Christ himself in you, living inside of you, the hope of glory. And then number eight, you receive the word of God and the promises of God are now yours. Amen? So there are eight elements to the sacrifice of Christ. And by the application of those eight elements, wherever there's an issue in your life, whatever hindrance, they may be to total surrender as you apply those eight elements specifically, persistently, habitually, continually, on purpose. It will, bring, it will remove any obstacle of any sort whatsoever. So, let's go back to the original. We're just going to be, be, be coming in for the land and I can see the airstrip. It's just a little bit beyond there for today. What is the secret of abiding? It's total surrender. Total surrender is the abiding. What is the secret to coming into this place of total surrender? It's the application of the eight elements of the sacrifice. Jesus called the application of those eight elements of the sacrifice. He called it, take up your cross and follow me. All right? Now I'm going to read it. Now remember that word that we hung over here? What was that word over here? Disciple. Remember that? Okay, remember that. So Jesus called the application of these eight elements. Take up your cross and follow me. Luke chapter 14, reading verse 26 to 35. Mm. 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brother, sisters, yes, and his own life, 
His own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He might want to be, he might pray about it, he might fast about it, he might do this, he might do that. But unless he goes through this denying of self, where self has no voice, he cannot be that my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross, cross is the place of death, where the old man is crucified. And it's no longer you, but the, and then on the resurrection side... You raise up and it's not, it is now the life of Christ. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. He repeated. So this being a disciple takes, you got to take up your cross. You've got to deny self. And it doesn't mean you don't love, you don't love your family and this and that. No, no, no. It's just that they don't come first. You don't come first. Nothing else comes first. For which if you, and then he said, which of you intending to build a tower? Does he not sit down first and come the course? Whether whether he has enough to finish it? Or less after he had laid the foundation and he's not able to finish it, everybody see him and they begin to laugh and mock him. He started to build something and now we can't finish. Or what king goes to war against another king? Does he not sit down first and consider, well, um, whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him that is coming against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still far way off, he will send a delegation and he would ask conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. He is talking about what's going to be the cost of discipleship. That's a message in itself. The cost of discipleship. And remember, as far as, as, far as that, that, that verse in Acts is concerned, the disciples were first called Christians. And here Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple if you don't take up my cross. You cannot be my, and when you're going to be the disciple, you recognize, check out what the cost is going to be. This has nothing to do with making it to heaven. Making it to heaven is easy. You just believe that Jesus has been raised up from the dead and you make him the Lord of your life and, and, you, be, and, you, be, and you do the best you can to live for him. That'll take you to heaven. But to have the life of Christ dominate you and flow through you, and have the much fruit, that's going to take discipleship. And herein is the Father glorified, that you might bring forth much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. John, John 15 verse 8. Anyway, I could read some more, but let's stop there. Right? Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be salted? It is neither fit for the land, nor for the downhill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Alright? So Jesus called it this application of the elements of the sacrifice, he simply called it, take up your cross and follow me. Can you imagine if Jesus was to try to explain at that time, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, his blood, his name, his life, his word, to people that weren't born again? That's why he had to say, look, <laughs> you can't receive this now. But later on, when the Holy Ghost has come, and a man named Paul, who's going to be given, to understand these mysteries, then you're going to understand what's happening. But until now, let's have communion. Let's just go through this anyway. Did you get a point? All right. So, being a true disciple, hmm, the scripture says the disciple must be like his master. Does it say that? Must, not maybe. Must be like his master. Well, guess what? The master headed to the cross. The master was crucified. The master said, not my will, but thy will be done. So Jesus said in John 15 verse 7 and if you abide in me and what? My word 
abide in you, you're going to ask what you will and it shall be done. If my word abide in you, what word? The word of the cross. You say, how can I make that statement? Because I get it from the Bible. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, Paul says, The preaching of the cross to us who are saved, not to the ones who are lost, to the preaching of the cross, which is the sacrifice to us, it's the power of God. And then in Romans 1, 16 and 17, it says, The gospel, the cross, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes because in it is unveiled the righteousness of God, the oneness that you have with God in Christ. That's why it has so much power. Now, I'm just scanning this. We're going to be finishing here, so I can't get into this, but I'm just mentioning it. That's the word that Jesus said need to abide in you. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 4, he says, look, I didn't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom. I didn't come to you with Elizabethan language. I didn't come to you with big words. I didn't come to you with gimmicks. I didn't come to you with any of that stuff, but I came with the word of God. I came and I preached the cross, which is the power of God. He says, I came. And I preach what I preach, which is the word of God, the gospel that the Lord has given me, so that your faith and your confidence would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And we know elsewhere it says the cross, the preaching of the cross is the power of God. Paul said something again in Titus chapter 1 and verse 3. Listen to what he says. Um, What is the gospel that Paul preached? Titus 1 verse 3. He says that God in due time, manifest his word through preaching. In other words then, okay, that God manifests, bring to fulfillment his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God, our Savior. What was the word committed to Paul? It was the revelation of the mystery of Christ in us. Christ living in us and through us. What was the gospel Paul preached? Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus was resurrected. Jesus ascended. Jesus shed his blood. And we died with him, buried with him, resurrected with him, ascended with him, washed and cleansed by his blood and made righteous. Have his name, have his life in us, have his word and have his promises. That was the gospel Paul preached. And Paul says, that's the gospel. That's what God, that's the word that God makes manifest. All right? So, What is this word when Jesus says, if you abide in me and my word abide in you? He is not talking about numbers. He is not talking a little bit about Leviticus. He's not talking about, he's not talking about, he's talking about the word of the cross. And when we get to that next week and we start looking, well, how do I overcome my insecurities that is a hindrance to this life flowing? How do I overcome the sense of condemnation? How do I overcome the voices of the past that want to belittle me? How do I overcome even the sickness and disease where I could hardly move because of pain? How do I overcome this? How do I overcome that? It's going to be the word of the cross. Is going to be the word of the the word of the cross is the power of God. So what to produce salvation, healing, wholeness, deliverance, even transformation where your character is concerned and the various insecurities. So the application of the eight elements of the sacrifice is what will produce total surrender. Paul says, "In my own life, this is my testimony." 2 Corinthians 4 verse 10. He says, I always bear about in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus so that this life of Christ will be made manifest. Paul says, I live this way. 
for me to live is Christ to die is gain. I live this way all the time. Always I, I bear about the dying of the Lord Jesus in my body. All the time, whatever situation I'm in, whether I'm dealing with offense, whether I'm dealing with unforgiveness, whether I'm dealing with this, whether I'm dealing with that, persecution, memories, whatever, they remind me of whatever, whatever it is, I always bear about in my body and recognize I'm old man has been crucified. It's no longer me. Old man has been buried. Past is gone. I have resurrected. The resurrection power of God lives in me. I have functioned from the place of ascension. I have the authority in the name of Jesus. So devil and demons must bow. I have the very life of Christ flowing on the inside of me like a river. So that any kind of infirmity cannot stay in my body. I have been washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. No matter what I have ever done in the past. I am forgiven of every sin, past, present, and future. And that blood also declares that I have got an abundance of inheritance. And in addition to that, the word and the promises of God, every one of them belong to me. Yes and amen. He says, so I always bear about in my body. And I live out of this identification of the application of these eight elements. And as a result, that the life of Christ might, that the life of Christ would be made manifest in me. I, and then 1st, 2nd Corinthians 4, 11, I live that element, that, that death and application, so that life comes out of me. The life of God, amen? So, um, I need to kind of like wrap this up here. So, this total surrender. This total surrender. What? How does it work? It's going to be take the eight elements of the sacrifice, apply that will produce it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And we will see. How just how that works. Now we not as I said, we can't get in deeply into this today, but I'm gonna compress very briefly and I'm gonna just share these five thoughts and then we're gonna close. There are gonna be five keys by which you can apply those eight elements, each of them. Number one, by finding out what they are and meditating in it. Meditating in the fact that you've been crucified, you died with him. Just meditating in that, muttering it under your breath. I'm crucified with Christ. It's not me here anymore. Imagining it. Imagine him. That when he came to an end, when he died, I died. Old man, he's gone. Not only gone, but he's gone and buried. Meditating on it. Number two, praying it. Whatever it is, whether it be resurrection, ascension, whatever element, praying it. Praying it. Just praying it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, I thank you. I'm ascended. I'm sitting in the place of ascension. It's far above principalities and powers. It's far above anything I have to deal with. Open my eyes. Help me to see. This is where I'm seated so I could function in it. Making it part of your prayer. Number three, practicing it. Situations come, practice, 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 practice. Somebody come and they try to offend you, practice not receiving offense. Practice, instead of reacting, respond from what the Word of God says. Practice. Anything you practice, you become better at. You develop muscles. But you got to lift again some weights to develop muscles. And that offense, those issues in life, those are your exercise equipment. So that's number three. Number four, bringing every thought into captivity. That's reality. When you decide to live this walk, there are going to be thoughts that are going to be contrary to the truth. Thoughts that says you're no good. Thoughts that say this is just going to be another failure. Thoughts that's going to say all kind of thoughts and you're going to have to resist those thoughts 
and cast them down. No, no, no. I don't have any inferiority. First of all, it's not about me. It's about him. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I see myself in him. I don't see myself in me. Who, who care less about me? And you, got in, and you, you begin to exercise as opportunity comes. Bringing every thought into captivity. And then finally, learning how to follow and copy Jesus. It says in 1 John 2, 6, that if you say you abide in him, then you got to walk like he walks. Right? Which, of course, means walking in love and a number of other things, but we're going to get into that. So, here is the conclusion. We are, as I said, next week we're going to look at it very specifically in the various areas of your life as much as we can cover as to how do you apply these eight elements and be freed from whatever might hinder you in the realm of surrender. All right? And, um, you know, whether it be offense, hurt, woundedness, past, history, what people say, whatever, all, or anything, whatever it might be, addictions, bondages, curses, all of that, the application of those eight elements can fix it all. Say, so fix it all. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when we get a hold of these things, and we apply them methodically, systematically, intentionally, on purpose, perpetually, it will eventually bring you to that place. But as for right now, for what we have said, what is this all about? God's will is, God wants you to be totally fruitful. That is how the Father is glorified. But the fruit looks like Jesus. And the fruit is glorious when Jesus is living your life for you, and God, Jesus is able to, be able to live in you and through you. But that is not possible without you abiding in the vine, without you totally surrendering. And then the applications of the sacrifice is what's going to bring you to that place of total surrender. Now, we're not really discussing how do you apply those eight elements. We're going to do that next week. But as for right now, you can make a decision of total surrender. And I'm not just talking about being born again. If you've never been born again, that's a good place to start. But just say, Jesus, I receive you into my life. I believe you've been raised up from the dead. If you've never done that, do it right now. Just say, Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. I surrender my life to you. I want to know you. I believe you've been raised up from the dead. And as you make that commitment, that gets you born again. But we're talking about beyond that. We're talking about you making a commitment of total surrender. I'm not saying that you are able to do it. But God, by the power of the Holy Ghost and by his grace, can enable you. But I'm asking you and I'm inviting you. And the Spirit of God is inviting you. Inviting you to say, Lord, I surrender all. Lord, I surrender all. Whatever that means, I surrender all. And that's what I'm asking you to do. That's what the Spirit of the Lord is speaking to you today. To make that decision. The Word of God says that whatever you commit unto Him, He's able to keep. If you don't commit anything, He's got nothing to keep. But when you can make that commitment, I surrender all. Then the Spirit of God will be released. To reveal unto you what is required. How can you get there? And he's going to give you grace. So let's just sing the... I'm, I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're just going to sing this. Just this one chorus from this song, I Surrender All. But as you do, I want you to sing it from your heart. I want you to sing it, I Surrender All, as a prayer. I want you to sing it as a commitment to the Lord. As a cry out to God. God hears your cry. And it causes his power to be released. So let's just sing just a few of these choruses and then I want to pray with you. Let's sing it. I surrender Yes, all. I surrender all. I surrender all. From the depths of your heart. 
Oh, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I surrender. Just say yes to Jesus. I surrender. Just yield to Him right now. I surrender. You might have a situation in your life right now and you don't know what to do. I surrender, surrender that situation to you, to God right now. Surrender it. You're anxious about your future. Don't worry about it. Surrender it to Him. There's family members, others that are a problem in your life. You're wondering, what is going to happen? How is this going to be? Surrender it. I surrender all, everything, Lord, everything. I surrender the past. I surrender the present. I surrender the future. I surrender my finances. I surrender my body. This is to be your living temple, oh God. Surrender all. Pray this from the depths of your heart. I surrender. This is a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. All to Jesus. I surrender. I surrender all. Father, I pray for every single one under the sound of my voice. Whether they're listening to me live or whether they're going listen to listen to this sometime at a later date. And I pray, oh, Father God, you are the God of all grace. And according to that blood covenant in which we stand, you are our sufficiency. And you are the one that make us sufficient in your sufficiency. Father, you are able to cause all grace to abound towards us. So that we too can abound to every good work, having your sufficiency. According to this blood covenant, all that you are and all that you have is available to us. So, Father, right now, as we cry out from the depths of our heart, and as we say, I surrender all, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, may the grace for us to surrender come upon us in the name of Jesus. May that grace come upon them right now that it would enable them, that would empower them to yield to you, to abandon to you, to trust you, O Lord God. To open up the heart wider than it has ever been before. And to let you have dominion. Let you have authority. Let you have rule, oh Father. Let that grace come upon them. Let that grace come upon them. That grace to surrender, Lord God. It is the most important thing we can do as a believer. And then all other things will be added on to us. Give them that grace. I surrender all. Let's sing it again. I surrender, I surrender all. all. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I surrender, surrender those children to Him. All, all Don't be anxious about anything. My, 